Hello friends, uh, my name is Steve and we're here today to discuss Beyond Redemption, chapters 11 through 25, and whoever listened to the first episode, I want to apologize, I didn't realize that when the camera turns off it stops recording audio, so sorry Dan, I didn't know that the hell was going to happen, but uh, we did get about half of what I said, so <laughs> but, but I'm sure uh, it was a bummer, but that was my mistake, so, but uh, as I mentioned, I'm here with Dan and, and Varsha, Dan, will you kick us off, please, introduction. Yeah, uh, I'm Dan. First time reading Beyond Redemption. Um, yeah, just a fan of uh, fancy. Nothing else. Varsha? Okay. Um, hi, I'm Varsha. I have a YouTube channel called Reading by the Rainy Mountain where I like to talk about my favorite books. Um, yeah, this is my first time as well reading Beyond Redemption. And I'm enjoying it so far. <laughs> Yes, it's my it's the second time reading it from you, but I read it two and a half years ago. One of the first fantasy books I read, so mm. it was an interesting choice. For that. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So I want to get uh, your your thoughts on it, Dan. What did you think of eleven uh, through twenty five? What stood out to you? Um, I don't know. Like it's it's getting more interesting because we're getting more into I guess the actual storyline of the. Um, what do you call it? The kidnapping and what's going to happen. You know, it, it still feels like there's some stuff we're not privy to, like um, what Morgan's faults are, I guess. And I don't know what's going to happen. It feels like there's something we're, we're going to see in maybe at the end of his book. It's like, oh, he was planning to do this all along or to do that, or, you know, that's just a step to do something else. But I don't know yet what it's going to be. But yeah, it's uh, intriguing, for sure. Mm. Rosha, what did you think? Yeah, a lot happened in these uh, 15 chapters. I think we saw some new characters who were interesting, mm -hmm. but also really uh, terrible to read about. Um, and I think what I appreciated about this section, and I think this happened to a certain extent with the previous 10 chapters also, gave me a lot of like sort of things to puzzle out. Uh, oh, if hmm. things work like this, how, what would be the fallout? What does this mean? And so on. Uh, mostly because we're trying to figure out what works out of, uh, because of people's delusions and what just works in the world outside of it for instance i think my favorite bit um during these 15 chapters was when gehen the hasabrand uh she thinks to herself about how the scientists um experiments are kind of useless because his delusions or uh, assumptions will drive the outcome of the experiments which i thought was very interesting like even something as objective as the science you do in this world cannot be uh, free of the delusions so uh, yeah so there's a lot of like philosophical puzzles <laughs> there if you want to sit down and think about it i like that it's a good point actually yeah because like he says the scientist like thinks about all the stuff he did to create like um you know other people delusions get or whatever right i don't remember what the name it was the k something like the guards that he has, right? Mm -hmm. uh, like the soldiers that they have. Uh, anyways, um, he was like, oh yeah, I can check, create them by torturing them or doing bad things to them or whatever. But but is that actually true? Like, mm -hmm. does that mean that always when you do that, that so but if someone believes that that doesn't work, they will stop working, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. Right? But we, we know that he's not He's not delusional, I guess. He doesn't have any delusions, right? as far as we know. Right. But maybe that's not true? How do you check for that? Yeah. And and if you start to think that you have delusions, do you then really have them, right? It, <laughs> it, is, it is a very recursive and cyclic world, which, interestingly, like, for all its... Uh, it feels really difficult to grasp, but it also feels like a very, you know, on steroids version of our world, right? Like it's, for instance, with the scientist, 
there are instances where you can make your assumptions a certain way uh, build your hypothesis and like not <laughs> uh, plan your arguments so that you get the outcome you want except here it's probably always true <laughs> so yeah i think um it, it is interesting and maybe we can find much smaller scale equivalents in our world for most things that we might discuss here so i did think it was interesting because we talked last week about locations and not having a lot of detail on locations and one of the on page 105 it mentions that city states are abstractions born of delusions so a, a city can look lush and green and everything is perfect because it's someone's delusion that's making that a reality right. so it, it's like this like you said of ours just like this circle of uh of delusions and belief and how and it, also i think in the after death can be another really weird because if you if you kill someone they become your your slave basically in the after death and whoever they killed also comes with them so then where does it end right yeah yeah, yeah. It, and everybody's fighting for ruling the after death and it's unclear whether they should even believe it if you don't believe in the after death it's possible you don't end up there maybe something else happens to you after you die right and yet you're fighting for something that comes in the afterlife by being really miserable here <laughs> probably i mean if enough people believe in the after death it doesn't matter what you think it's just going to be what other people mm. believe because you know right yeah that's true yeah maybe yeah, but... i don't know because we've seen both ways right sort of yeah <laughs> and and i think it is explicitly addressed in the text too like someone says someone thinks to themselves that it, i don't believe this but i think because everyone else believes i will mm-hmm. end up in some situation that i think they don't like or i forget which but yeah <laughs> so yeah like i there's just a lot of like puzzles that you can like sit down and think about for hours if you want <laughs> and also when we started off recording this both of you mentioned that we're starting to get into the story now and it kind of dawned on me that we've we've learned a lot about how the world works in the magic system and like the world building in a pretty short period of time mm-hmm. we've yeah. gotten a lot of you know we've and not that we fully grasp it yet but <laughs> we have gotten a lot of background on like the magic i guess magic system delusion system delusion system <laughs> i like that <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i i really like the um opening what is this called epigraph i sometimes accidentally call it epitaph but <laughs> um <laughs> i really like the opening of that uh, chapter 11 i it, in just those few lines i think it tells us almost everything about the way the world works right um it says febrile minds dream monsters there are monsters the hasselbrand dreams fire there is fire and so on about a bunch of different gefargeist powers no the other thing gefargeist is people who yeah they yeah. are a specific type of delusionists <laughs> yeah. i wonder when actually i wonder when what was the first series that started putting like uh uh epigraphs at the beginning of chapters because now it's pretty common but you see in like fair number but it didn't used to be because i remember reading, like if you read books from like the 80s or 70s or whatever you never see that i wonder what was it, it dune what? i know steven erickson regularly says dune as his inspiration for that structure hmm I'm, I'm trying to remember if I think yeah I think Dune does yeah Dune does have them at the beginning yeah, yeah. and Dune was hugely influential so I wonder if that was the first one actually it's mm. a good point hmm. Dune came out in the 70s 60s 60s, 60s. <laughs> I don't remember I think a while 60s. ago <laughs> a while ago yeah yeah <laughs> I like that answer yeah but it's a it's a nice way of uh giving more lore about the world while being in character sort of and without yeah. having exposition from someone yeah yeah and i think it adds a great deal of depth like i 
when I see these epigraphs, I feel like the author has spent a lot of time building the world because you have to think about the historians and philosophers and whoever you're quoting here, what they would have said. So you're sort of creating additional characters, additional history for the world. It's a lot more world uh, with the epigraphs, in my opinion. And Dune is 1965, mm. just for the record. Yeah. Wow. There you go. But it was later, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's actually must be pretty hard to write them because you have to write as someone who is known to be smart in that world or like writes very well. Mm. Um, it's like the same issue as uh, I don't know if any of you play uh, Dungeons and Dragons or any role playing game, right? If you play as a super smart character or someone that speaks very well or something, and you're like, how do I? I don't. I'm not that smart in real life. How yeah. do I make my character like that? <laughs> or I think I was reading also like um, um, Baker, right? He was mm-hmm. when he was writing uh, um, for um, you know all the philosophy and stuff like that. But his characters say he's like I try to write stuff for people which should be way smarter than me. How do I do that? <laughs> he had to rewrite it so many times until it felt. Mm. Not right. It must be pretty hard. Yeah. Brandon Sanderson has a video on the subject. I haven't watched it yet, but the title is "Writing Characters Smarter Than You." Oh, <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, because nice. <laughs> yeah, I guess if you're like, oh, I want to write something that the Shakespeare of this world would have written, I'm like, but I'm yeah. not Shakespeare. I couldn't write Shakespeare of right? this world. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, smarter or Very has nice. talent or knowledge that you don't have. Yeah, that, that is interesting. I suppose a lot of it boils down to doing research the same way you would for the rest of your story, but also you have to change tones and characters. And, yeah. Yeah, that's true, I guess. Well, that's one of the advantages, I think, of fancy, because you don't have to do research in what is actually reasonable. Well, mm. if you're writing a historical novel and... Because I, I started thinking about it at some point. I'm like, if I were to write a novel like writ set in something like that, how would I know how people behaved, what they did to, I don't know, just even mundane things, right? How did people get food or cultivate things or make candles or, you know, anything? Right? Yeah. I guess so the concern... over little things. Yeah, go ahead. I sorry. guess the... No, I, I'm sorry. I guess the concern with building the fantasy world is to write yourself into a corner because if you... Kind of don't pay attention to what you're adding, mm. then it could kind of haunt you later, I guess, is the only concern. Because it's your world, you can do what you want, but mm. you might regret it later <laughs> if you want to, make, want to make a decision later down yeah. the road. Like uh, yeah. George R. R. Martin did. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, who's the guy in Name of the Wind? Patrick uh, Rothfuss. Yeah, I think he also might have <laughs> gotten into that problem. Yes. I think That's his true. problem is more the framed narrative aspect of it, right? Because he has this like three day worth of stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But, but yeah, but he set it up yeah, at the beginning and now he's stuck with it. <laughs> but I guess like with in this novel, like it's. I wonder what you could be stuck with. Because I guess everything is possible based on what you, characters can believe in. Uh, and a lot of crazy stuff already happened. I guess a bunch I... of a bunch of people like us would come by and be like, "This doesn't make any sense." You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did have a little bit of trouble just with one part, um, which took me a bit out of it, like the fight scene with the infinite doppelgangers. Mm. That, like, I, it's it's not like it's written badly or anything. It's just for me when I have like characters that just mow through random people. Uh, with it seems like not that much trouble like I would feel like you would have to be like so much more powerful to be able to fight 50 people at the same time you know uh, mm-hmm. it just I, I was just I didn't believe that part it just felt very um, I don't know comic book or very movie sort of thing uh, but that was the only part like, everything else doesn't very Agent like Smith, that. Agent Smith X esque, I think, like in the <laughs> Matrix kind of thing where he like multiplies himself. Yeah. I, 
I wonder if the problem for this world is that if you sit down and look very closely at each person's delusions and beliefs and what they think they believe, what they don't, if we'll find logical inconsistencies. I think there was something I noticed which they, it seemed like it would belong to our world but not to this world where delusions are a thing. I don't remember off the top of my head what it, what it was. but. Also then, like, are logical inconsistencies even a thing in this world, <laughs> right? Um, each person has thoughts to themselves and you have this division of sane and insane. And so would you then say this world allows anything and everything to happen? There are no bounds. But the only bound is that you go insane yourself uh, and you lose so much control that you will destroy yourself. But other than that, anything goes in the realm of possibility. Yeah. Yeah. Then that's what kind of Koenig is battling with, right? His, do- his doppels and they're, they're starting to become too powerful. So he's it's almost like a race against time that he's trying to convince himself and them that he's in charge. And they're starting to catch on that he's not really in control. I thought that was a great scene, the one with... Um what was it like the i guess interrogation scene or whatever when they were planning what to do when he was calling the assassins and then he, like slowly acceptance was like becoming i guess starting to control the narrative of what was happening hmm. i thought that was really interesting because because i guess he doesn't notice i guess because it's just part of himself right so if he naturally goes into a specific state of mind or emotion then that part of himself will start Taking over? Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that people can destroy parts of themselves like that and have the Koenig says things to himself that it hurt more to hurt the scientist than it did to hurt acceptance. Uh, or mm. yeah, so it it is interesting. Does that is that some um, is that a manifestation of self-loathing, perhaps, that you don't mind seeing that part of yourself destroyed? Or, yeah, it, that I, I agree. That scene was fantastic, and it made me think a lot. On uh, I just have on page one sixteen mm-hmm. in the paperback, uh, abandonment and trepidation were not but manifestations of petty fears. Conic most desired acceptance. Conic self-hatred and des- desperate need to belong would be his undoing. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Steve, are you able to make any more sense of your tabs this time? Yes, they make a lot more sense. I have a lot more of them now, too. <laughs> a lot more of them. But, oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I did. Um, I, I started to wonder, like, as the first ten chapters or so, I thought, this isn't too bad. Like, this isn't too dark. And then mm. we meet the slaver. And I think that's yeah. mostly what people find disturbing i think you know what he does especially to children is i think the the darkest part of it what did you both think of the slaver i thought yeah. it was i go ahead. sorry you can go ahead Barsha, if no. you want. oh go ahead Dan. i was kind of waiting for you to go first anyway. okay. <laughs> i really like that character i thought it was like his interaction with a Hasselbrand and the whole everything that happened and the way he manipulates people was pretty interesting to watch right and like in in the end how do i say like we didn't when we got a bit of his perspective on you know what he was thinking it's not like how do i say it's not like yeah beyond redemption i guess like he's not like like a completely evil guy right he's he is he's not good obviously (laughs) But you can see how he has arrived at that point from his history and how he just wants to have, you know, someone, I guess, accept him or love him or something like that, right? Um, And he goes about it in a very twisted way, for sure. But it's, uh, yeah, he's not just, like, an evil guy that likes hurting people, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> he wants, yeah, he wants to be able to survive, to keep his uh, delusions at bay, and he wants someone 
to be his friend or partner or something. Just needs yeah, a hug. Pretty dark. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what a lot of characters I think need. Yeah. <laughs> I will look for. Yeah. It can't find it. <laughs> yeah, I think there was something in there about uh, the fact that all um, delusionists have are, have a lot of self-loathing, and that's how mm. they become powerful. So it makes sense. I, I think slaver is a category of delusion here in this world, right? And we ha- apparently there are other slavers as well, except this one's a very big group. Um, and and the fact that what was his name Bedet uh, saw the people around the slaver and knew the center for what it was. I think yeah, it makes sense. I, I don't think it's this character in particular needs to be judged for that. It's just slavers in general. That's how they operate. And given the fact that um, delusions can... um, People can start to have delusions from life experiences that hurt them, it makes sense that uh, for slavers, this is the... uh, Whatever hurt them was probably that they weren't loved sufficiently and so now they will... uh, surround themselves with people whom they can convince themselves like them or love them uh, that they need them so I guess <laughs> that is my long-winded way of saying I agree with you Dan that yeah this, we can understand where he's at but in terms of just, like reading about this character and the group it was very difficult for me <laughs> for sure uh, the, the stuff with the children and everyone is uh pretty dark yes i agree but also yeah i think what i said last time is a lot of uh disgusting <laughs> uh descriptions that i yeah i they are effective though um they are effective i don't know but yes <laughs> they were difficult to read for that reason for sure i wonder what is there a difference between like slaver and the Gephardt guys? Because they're both like manipulating and just with charisma and convincing people. So what's the difference? Just how we treat them? Yeah, I wondered about that too. I Is a slaver just a very powerful Gephardtist? But if they are, then like, isn't Koenig at that level? Or is he choosing not to use his powers that way? Like it seems the powers are pretty similar, like when the scientist, for example, was with Koning, he was like, oh, I need to be careful because the closer I am, the more convincing he is, I guess. Mm. Um, but it seemed different than the slaver one, maybe? I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah. I don't know, the slaver one seemed more, like, concentrated just around him. Mm. Koning seems a bit more widespread, but that's maybe how you apply the power, I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Almost like a radius of uh, like influence, like a you know, if you the closer you get and then I did love that he came he would come up to the city gates and they would have that you know, they would be ready for a fight and then he would talk to them and they would open the gates and they would come and offer <laughs> sacrifices bow to him. So he kind of like apologize and so I, I thought that was really just so so such a cool I mean terrifying but <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it also sounded like uh, based on what's his name, the scientist, his research that there is a radius around all uh, delusionists. I keep calling them that. I don't know what the right name is, but anyway, <laughs> around all the people who have delusions, there is a radius. Apparently, even Koenig has a radius of influence, right? But what happens within that radius is, seems to be different for the slaver and. Gefargeist, so yeah, it it is interesting, I think, but I don't know the answer to that. I thought (laughs) the the people around the slaver, they all seem to understand that they were trapped, but they couldn't escape it. 
Whereas with the Kefa guys, often I think they don't really know that they are being manipulated. They have doubts and they question themselves afterwards, but they could believe that things that are suggested to them by the Gefa guys are their ideas. But with the slaver, it seems like they could become aware, but they're still trapped. Mm. So maybe it's just the Gefa guys is more subtle in the mm. application of that power. Possibly. Yeah, yeah but, uh, but I mean, the scientist did realize that, you know, he was being manipulated. But he was also a scientist, so maybe he's <laughs> more aware than other people. I don't know. Yeah, but you're right, like the slavers one, it seemed like others were aware, maybe, a bit of what was going mm-hmm. on. Uh, like the Hasselbrun, for sure, was aware. The other yeah. ones, maybe two. The shaman um, was, and then... Yeah. I think, was it Ro- Reagan or Rogan? He even talked about, because he would yeah. keep the storm going to protect the Hasselbrand, and he even said, like, I... I wanted to leave, but I couldn't. I couldn't bring right. myself to do it. Like I, I could have just left, but I didn't. Hmm. So it's yeah. almost like, yeah, they are aware, but they just can't help themselves. Yeah, that's probably, yeah. I feel that's worse than just thinking, you know, being deluded that you're following someone by your own will. Yeah. <laughs> At least that way you feel better about, you know, what's going on. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind and of like I'd rather be Connie's yeah. servant than uh, the slaver servant. <laughs> Not that he right. treats him super well. But, yeah. Better than better. the slaver yeah. does. Yeah. But, yeah. but I mean, he didn't have problems just uh, deafening the assassins mm. in a second, right? So. Mm. Yeah, okay. I had a question about that. That deafening the assassins did not seem to be within the scope of any of the powers that Koenig had demonstrated up to then. So is this a new delusion that he has or is it part of, is it a very powerful Gefagai's power to... So, okay, so what happened there was he didn't convince them that they are deaf and that's why they can't hear. He said, I believe that you are not, that, that you are deaf, that's why you are deaf now which is not really manipulation, right? Is it? it... Could be. I guess he's convincing yes. that they are they are deaf and they kind of like, like he's hypnotizing them almost. Mm. Yeah. Into believing something. It just becomes real because they believe it. So did we sort of get to the root of how a Gephar guy's power works that they believe for instance, Victor believes that he's the greatest swordsman, so he is. Is that how that works? It's not manipulating others into believing it? Because then, because so far it felt like a Gefaga's power is that they can manipulate the belief of others. Yeah. But in this instance, it's making something come true by the power of their own belief. Maybe it's just because... Yeah, sorry, go ahead, Steve. No, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I think you were going to say what I was going to say, so please go. Yeah, Yeah. it it just seems like it's almost like a combination. I think he he wants people, he wants the attention. He wants people to believe that he's the greatest swordsman. It's not, he believes it, but he wants other other people to believe it too. So it's, he believes it, so he's trying to make it true by, by, making other people believe it and it just becomes mm. real because they believe and he wants the attention more than um, so I guess it's like a different form of manipulation mm-hmm. I guess um, yeah 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 because he also says oh I I, I I am the greatest swordman I believe I am the greatest swordman right for other people so that they believe mm. but but he probably is he probably is not that sure it seems when he's talking but he actually, like, he doesn't care, actually. He probably doesn't, mm. doesn't care what he thinks. He just, he knows that it doesn't matter. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But if you it's act like confident, then people will believe you. <laughs> yeah. That's true. I guess we did learn something else from the slaver with the stew and the body parts that you can absorb other people and it 
it won't add to your delusions. The way for him to keep his delusions at bay so he can not get too powerful. So these people get chopped up and he eats their organs uh, and shares with the Hasselbrand as a way for them to... Possibly. I guess he told her he was, but... (laughs) So... Yeah. Well, I guess if he believes it, again, if he believes it, it's probably going to happen, right? I guess. Right. I mean, right. it, it seems like there's no limit, because like, we've seen like other people which are... I still don't understand the delusions of the people which are like dead, but they're not dead. Mm. You know? Because they're, pre- they're, de- like, they're dead. You know, there's no organs or other things. Like, they're 100% dead, but they're still there, so... Mm. Do they, I, yeah, I don't understand exactly what their delusion is because it's not like they, they don't believe they're dead, right? It's something to do with self-loathing and s- something like that, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, like it seems like you can even cheat death, right? If you have some sort of delusion, right? Or is it that they are alive-ish, but they believe that they are dead, so they look dead, but they aren't actually dead? (laughs) Could be. (laughs) I kind of wonder if there's like a necromancer type of delusion that's keeping them Mm -hmm. around, if that exists. Um, But Mm -hmm. uh, on page one... Oh, I'm sorry, Barsha. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to mention... on page uh, 128, uh, eat a man's soul and you gain his strength of spirit, even just a small measure of insanity to balance your own lack. Mm. So the whole stew thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, uh, that was disturbing, yes. But once you get past that, <laughs> uh, uh, what's her name? Gehien. She, she apparently has doubts about it and so it doesn't seem to work for her or at least it wasn't enough to stop her from going insane enough to destroy an entire city, right? Or town. So does yeah. that also only work if you believe it? And since the parallel way uh, that we're reading about, which is um, Koenig draining wanting Morgan to ascend so that he can keep his own insanity at bay is that also only because Koenig believes that to be true (laughs) (laughs) I guess he's hoping so (laughs) he's betting everything on that because he's running out of time yeah is hope the same as belief (laughs) it seems like he almost doubts he almost like questions it sometimes like kind of like he hopes it will work hmm because it hasn't been yeah. done before yet. He doesn't sound super sure about it. Yeah. He's gotten into really risky territory now. He's just hoping that he can kill whoever kills Morgan and therefore gain ascendancy on them. It's just... Like, I, I don't think you can trust anyone that much in this world. <laughs> or trust yeah. your own abilities to do that. Um, yeah, I didn't expect him to just tell him or just kill him. Yeah. Why can't he just go with them and be the one to kill them? Does he need to be in that town for some reason? Probably because it's dangerous. I guess he, if he's out in the open, he'll be yeah. sought after. But I did like when he mentions, uh, he tells them, if you see him, kill him immediately. Then kill the the people who kidnapped him. And he says, well, and I think he mentions something like, uh, I'll have to kill the person who kills him, but I'll... I'll We'll discuss that later. That'll be detailed. For, I, won't, I won't mention that right now. Yeah. I'll just pretend you'll be rewarded when you come back. And the reward is, oh, you get to serve me in the after, after death. Yeah. You win. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But the plan seems more and more... I don't know how to say... It, it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. I mean, even before I was like... If he kills it, is it that really what's going to happen? It seemed kind of doubtful. You know? But now, it, I don't know. Mm. Mm. He's betting on it, I guess. Yeah. I, I feel, I feel, it feels to me like the only person with a plan here or that knows what they're doing might be Morgan, I think. Yeah. And he seems the most in control of what's actually happening, sort of. 
Because I think if he didn't want to go with them, he probably would have been able to, to not go with them, right? Seems pretty powerful. Do you think he knows what's happening, or do you think he's being tricked by them? Because I, I think they mentioned, like, these people were trying yeah. to hurt you, we're here to save you. Or do you think he's going along, just waiting for the right time? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It, it felt at points, but he must have known, but, but maybe not? I don't know. The kid seems extremely all-knowing, so... <laughs> the, I mean, what I'm reading into it is he's playing along for the moment because it suits him, but yeah, it feels I mean, like he's that. very naive in certain areas, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But he's, he, he probably but, has like a. I assume he has like almost all the delusions, so he probably has like mirrors delusion too. If you wanted to see what happened. In reality, mm -hmm. I guess. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. We do get a glimpse that he may even see the future, right? At one point. Which part? Sorry, maybe I missed that. Let's see. On uh, 225. Yeah, I guess of all the delusions, we haven't seen like a divination one yet, which seems also one bit. Should um, be there. Some mm. sort of profit, I guess. I would think so. Um, but that would give all sorts of... Like, you're already dealing with recursion with belief, and you have to deal with sort of time travel and causation, <laughs> uh, you know, issues. That, that might be a bit too complicated. Uh, it mentions uh, on 225... Uh, let's see. Uh, Morgan watched as a bloody water swirled, showing glimpses of the future. Bedeck, mm. whom he just pulled from the gates of the afterdeath, would lie again, would again lie dying in a few short days. Next time, Morgan oh, yeah. would not save him. Bedeck would be without his friends. Morgan, Morgan wondered at this. Mm. Wasn't yeah, being able to tell the future part of a mirrorist's uh, delusion? Was it? I thought so. Didn't. Um, the the mirrorist that uh, the scientist killed wasn't he able to show briefly towards the end the future where the oh, three true. are headed with Morgan. Oh, that's right. And I thought in um, the mirrorist that uh, Gahian went to see at the other city, she also showed her a bit of future. I thought. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, but that that's an interesting point. If you, um, if you're a really powerful mirrorist, or if there is a prophetic delusion, can you make that happen? <laughs> I, yeah. Or you can just see what's going to happen, and you have no influence. Mm. With the with the mirrorist, <laughs> I, I, I was confused. I, I remember that being a part that I was confused about the first um, during the first read, and this one I thought, I wondered, is it the figures in the mirror do they overhear something do they know because they overheard the discussion when they kidnapped morgan yeah or do they know in, in some other way that what was going to happen and that's why they were mm. communicating with acceptance and that's why acceptance knew because they were cons conspiring but i wasn't sure about that mm. Mm. is it is it uh koenig's mirrorist delusion that can uh because uh, the scientist wonders if koenig's Mirrorist delusion is powerful enough that he can figure out what happened by himself, mm. right? So is it that the mirrors, the mirror images know what happened, but they don't communicate it to Koenig yet? I think they're working with acceptance for some... I'm not, but I'm not quite sure why they're working with acceptance and not with Koenig. Because mm. I think they want to take over Koenig, right? Mm. They want to oh, be okay. the ones in charge, I guess. That makes sense. Yeah. But now that I think about it, I think actually, may maybe, maybe, and it's a very far-fetched <laughs> theory, maybe what, like, what defines, like, a god or something is the ability to use different delusions and combine them together. Like, for example, mm -hmm. if you're a mirrorist and you can see a future and you can see other things changing and you're also a Geffergeist and you apply your Geffergeist power to your illusions you see within the mirror you can make 
things happen, maybe. Mm-hmm. Everywhere in the past, future, whatever, and that's what makes like a god. Maybe. Mm. It's so cool. I just I, so yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Could be. Yeah. Because um, we haven't uh, seen anyone being able to apply them together or anything, just in sense separately, and we don't have too much control over. <laughs> to that the point, secondary there's another, one. There's another tab I had about on 160. Mm-hmm. Uh, Morgan says, um, "A god doesn't require delusion or insanity because his worshippers suffer for him. Yet, mm. yet in a way, he has all of their delusions." Mm. So yeah. we might be honest something there. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. When I read that, I just thought they was like, like the beliefs of everyone just sort of coalesced into him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? Maybe if, if the people believe enough, they can make him believe into what the people believe, or it's the other way around. <laughs> so. Does this mean that Morgan is already a god that he has ascended? Hmm. No. Because if a god has that ability and Morgan has demonstrated yeah. the ability. Hmm. I don't know. Oh, one second. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a. Uh, then I I wonder too, you know, in this world, I wonder how many because we have these characters that we're focused on with their delusions, but how many people actually are powerful enough to influence the people around them? Like, how many people are in this world, and how many people that can like how many conics are there in this world, or how many mm-hmm. slavers are there? That seem I know we focus a lot on them, but are they rare or are they common? Yeah, you're right. I guess our perspective is a bit screwed by the fact that we're just seeing their perspective. We're not. Most people, I assume, it seems most people are just normal, right? right. Yeah. From yeah. What we've seen, I think. Kind of like mini gods or like mini bosses everywhere that influence their area. And there's different areas you go to, and there's different people ruling certain areas because of their delusions. Kind of, the rest of us are just kind of along for the ride, I guess. <laughs> it feels a bit, um, a bit Dark Souls, a bit that sort of <laughs> universe. Um, yeah, I think most people are just normal people. Unfortunately for them. And I guess being having like a having like a, a location or like a city that doesn't have someone powerful, then you're at the mercy of someone like the slaver who can come around and. Kind of, so I guess having one is is it better than not having someone to kind of ward them off? I don't know. I mean, mm. it seems like the the cities of uh, you know the cult they're, they're doing pretty well. Like it seems mm. pretty luscious and nice cities, and people seem to be much happier than in the other shitty town that we started in. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think you would. Yeah, and they also don't they also describe it like, oh, I was in this town five years ago or something, and it looked terrible. It looked super poor, and there was nothing, and now it's beautiful. Yeah, Bedek seems pretty shocked at how much change um, happened in the town, and he concludes from there that there's a very powerful Gefageist at the center of it. Uh, so. And he's a man who's been around quite a bit, it seems like. So it makes sense, I think, to conclude that there aren't that many powerful delusionists. Yeah. Do you think there's going to be talking about the three, you know, um, normal people, I guess? Do you think there's going to be some revelation of something in their past which is going to affect the story because we did get some glimpses into their past right uh, mm. especially um what is his name the swordsman Victic. No, he, Victic, yeah he talked about yeah about leaving his city and his wife and his son and wife 
that happen and all this sort of stuff. But I wonder if there's going to be some revelation in or like the, the warrior guy in the past, he was fighting here or there, and I don't know, it comes back up again, someone from mm. his past. I don't know. It's At some point it felt like it was setting up for that in certain parts mm. for the future, but I don't know. It felt to me that what it was setting up for, the discussion of his um, history, mm-hmm. that uh, was that he'd be affectionate towards Morgan or uh, I think Mm. he has a thought if I remember correctly that uh, it feels silly or not worthy to sell him back for ransom that he wants to do more with the boy like he wants to help him ascend or I don't remember what it was that Victor thinks to himself but it's something to the effect that he wants to protect the boy and Mm -hmm. help him out and that was that I think if I read it correctly, partly because of Morgan himself, but also because he thought back and remembered his boy and so wanted to protect this boy. I thought that might be the extent of uh, how his background helps. But um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It seems that their histories are affecting how they behave with each other. I don't know if it, it doesn't seem to me yet that it will come back to form a to play a bigger role in the story it might just affect behaviors more than anything else yeah. who knows do you think that all of that was just morgan subtly manipulating them hmm. maybe <laughs> i did not think of that <laughs> but seems like a distinct possibility <laughs> hmm. yeah i don't know i think that trio is much needed comedic relief like mm-hmm. that that black dark humor is i think it fits well and avarshi mentioned that uh, you know the you can't read too much because it's it's so you know it's bleak i think that's it, it needs something mm. like the humor to you know to line yeah. it up a little bit for most people i think yeah yeah i i, I agree that i am always um i always like the breaks with the three of them and it seems like we are adding some depth to their characters Bedecked had a wife whom he misses very much now it seems like and is very sentimental about which is nice because it feels like so far everyone we meet in this world is self-serving and doesn't care it doesn't have any relationships yeah. Um, but yeah and it seems like Victor also to a certain extent uh, regrets leaving his wife and son and most importantly Yes, on the face of it, they all want to, would happily betray each other, but no, they're looking out for each other, however reluctantly or grudgingly it is. Like, yeah, okay, there is some hope. (laughs) It is my delusion that there's hope in this world. (laughs) (laughs) If you believe it, it might happen. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I don't know if I would want these guys both to be the, how do I say the guys that end up winning. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who I, who I want to end up winning. Maybe Morgan. Morgan seems the most... Um, maybe that wants to make things nice. Yeah. Not everything terrible. Maybe. But I don't, I don't know what his plans are. So. Morgan feels like one of those kids they make horror movies about. <laughs> that he's just going to turn around and terrify you. <laughs> yeah. Could be. I, mean, yeah, I hope that would be pretty interesting yeah because i'm actually like looking forward to i don't know some parts about the afterlife or more like cosmic parts or whatever because that i don't know at, at this point none of the how do i say like the real life horrors sort of they don't shock me that much mm. you know i've read a lot of books other <laughs> similar things sort of but also like the the more between very close like scary stuff the more impactful stuff for me is like sort of existential horror so again what happens to your soul what happens you know with, with the gods and all that sort of stuff um so that's what i'm i'm hoping will be the very dark part for me personally 
Hmm. Yep, you're at the second apocalypse, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been looking for something like like that because that you know stretched my itch of uh, existential horror and despair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was looking for the series. I've been yeah. searching for something similar. Yeah. So maybe, maybe I'm hoping. I'm hoping. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. After that, this feels a lot like um, to me. It it. Feels a lot like when I was reading, uh, what was it, Prince of Thorns, I think, mm-hmm. Mark Lawrence mm-hmm. book. It, it's got a bit of a similar sort of style, I guess, or just in my mind, I'm imagining a sort of similar world or atmosphere. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys, if those books cropped in your mind while reading this or not, really. I haven't oh. read that one yet. Mm, I oh, haven't read it either. Oh, really? Oh, okay. <laughs> And they're pretty good. I mm. I enjoy them. Um, I think he's written a couple of series, but I've only read like one. I think. Mm. I think I've been meaning to but... for a while. I I will get to it eventually. <laughs> eventually. <laughs> too many too many books. Too many books to read. Mm. We talked a little bit last week about communication being manipulation, and it mm-hmm. a little bit more on that uh, in these chapters, but. One of them was um, uh, manipulating the same was like herding sheep. It took a lot of effort, but if you mm. focused on one sheep at a time, you'd get nowhere. But you focused on the right sheep moving in the right direction, all the rest will follow. Yeah. That is, that feels also sadly relevant to our first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I think that another... makes sense because even in our world, like mass psychology is different, completely different than individual psychology, right? Um, different laws apply and stuff like that. And even I remember reading like um, that one, while individual people might, you know, make wrong guesses for certain things or estimates for, let's say, a certain number. Let's say if you have a, a certain number of beans in a in a jar and you have to guess how many, right? Individual people will be super wrong about it, but if you take the average of all the estimates mm-hmm. of everyone, it's going to be very, it's going to be surprisingly precise for some reason. Interesting. It doesn't necessarily have to be, but hmm. so I think that it's kind of like the wisdom of the masses. Uh, hmm. But there's, yeah, there's different, a lot of different aspects of, for which like the having a sufficient number of people changes completely the dynamic of you know, you have a problem. So yeah, there was, yeah, some of these quotes feel a lot like <laughs> quotes from our world just reworked yeah. for, for this. I think last time we saw uh, Victor was the one who kept saying communication is manipulation. This time, I think Koenig was the one who thought to himself that all communication is manipulation. So I wonder if that is a general sort of base belief in this world or if it's a belief that Gephar guys hold that any communication that they do is manipulation I mean for them it is true right but is it a general aspect of the world as well there was another uh, another quote I wanted to get your, both of your thoughts on on uh, page 240 if communication was manipulation Emotion was the full was a fulcrum on which the leverage was applied. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> that one was pretty heavily highlighted in the Kindle book. <laughs> oh really? Oh, really? Yeah, I oh, think it had like fifty five highlights or something. And... Oh wow. Yeah, yeah, I think that's. Yeah. that's Seems very a lot true. of people agree. <laughs> Yeah, and probably now when I think about it, it, I guess if they think that all communication is manipulation, that would probably make it very hard for them to trust people or have it, any emotional connection with people or anything like that. Mm. It would feel. Yeah, I that that's a great point because I was thinking that might be true for our world where emotions matter, but here 
what emotions are you manipulating it doesn't feel like anyone has like safe emotions that you can manipulate it's mostly oh am i being manipulated at least all the characters we've met so far they are not trusting at all <laughs> so you have like really get to the bottom of the pile to manipulate any emotions right so how does that even work they were able to you are able to manipulate people by using their like most powerful emotions like for example the Hasselbrand right by mm. manipulating her need of acceptance right mm. yeah then you can yeah. control her that way i guess so whatever the root is of that primary delusion you can manipulate that and you can maybe make a good guess <laughs> about why there although the Hasselbrand is interesting about what would have caused her primary delusion or like the chief emotion seems to be self-loathing so i suppose you manipulate that yeah yeah, yeah. we did get like a background of her story which mm. yeah and like again that that part was pretty dark yeah because <laughs> yeah. it also felt like you know it's not just a fancy story like other sort of things it's just like well i could see this written in a memoir in our world i guess uh, mm. not the magic parts but <laughs> you know the other mm. abuse parts mm. so um, but yeah i guess like her even then her emotion her trauma was all about i guess acceptance right because mm. yeah. i think even she told her where even when she was away for like a year or something she left home and when she came back she's like it was like she didn't care it's like oh you're back okay cool mm-hmm. Yeah. It was yeah. And it it wasn't a whole lot of text devoted to that, but it did have a an impact on you know it so it it I just felt like it was enough to convey what happened to her, but it didn't dwell on it, didn't like mm-hmm. you know it was enough it was just told us what happened, but it didn't spend too much time where it became kind of like for shock value, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's better because if you want, you know, you can read, like you don't have to explicitly say everything. Hmm. And a lot of time it's more powerful to, for readers to extract the meaning and fill in the blanks than saying everything. Right. Hmm. Um, plus if it's, you know, if it's a well-written passage or whatever, you don't, don't need to spoil it by writing more, I guess. Mm-hmm. You just need to, people can, you know, you can go back and reread it. Sometimes I go back and, like, reread the, the passage. Uh, it, I think it's important if I liked it or whatever, right? Um, yeah, you're right. It's can, sometimes authors can indulge a bit too much in certain parts that they think are really good or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. kind of loses its weight a little bit like like you said it's, it's kind of like in a, in a movie when they show you the monster over and over again instead of just you fill it in the blanks is worse than what they can ever think of because it's in your own mind and so more of an impact mm. true yeah and everyone is going to fill it in with whatever they think is the worst thing right yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah so I guess uh, and the Hasselbrand Think she wants to burn everything. Um, <laughs> she wants to burn everything down. So we'll find out. I'm not quite sure at the end of chapter 25 if she burned everything or if she just burned the people who needed to be burned, or like if everyone around her is burned. I thought she herself got set on fire. She burned everyone around the slaver except the slaver, and then she got fire. She ignited with concussive force. I thought she exploded. I don't yeah. know if that's true. <laughs> but I thought she exploded. <laughs> I wonder if she did does that mean that she died or does that mean that she just burned everything and that's like part of her power? I think <laughs> I think she exploded and is in pieces all over the floor around the stage. Oh really? Okay. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I guess we'll find out pretty soon. Yeah. I don't know. 
<laughs> she ignited with concussive force and i thought this was because of the sun coming out suddenly i don't know if it's because she mm. because of the fire that she was setting that's why i'm <laughs> i'm going on about how she probably exploded <laughs> oh, i just read it as you know when a fire just starts immediately just feels like it's exploding mm. that's how i read it but again i don't know could be yeah could be right <laughs> And I love the scene of abandonment getting dragged into the mirror. That was oh, really cool. Yes, <laughs> that was really cool. I I didn't I I kind of forgotten the trap that acceptance had laid out for him. Uh, so when it happened, it was oh yeah, you were planning that. But it was really cool to read it happen. I kind of want acceptance to win <laughs> over Koenig. Just to keep things interesting, <laughs> or maybe trepidation will take over. Yeah, I guess if we win, do we just replace him, or does he just die? I assume I guess... we will replace him. Yeah, I thought uh, Koenig will become one of the doctors, right? Or yeah. is it is it like with the with the split personality one, where if Koenig dies, he's the original, so they all die? I think he would replace him, I think. Mm -hmm. I guess. I don't know, but that's the question of, like, if I have, like, four clones and I die, do I actually die? Does my consciousness go to another clone? Does, um, hmm. maybe not, but my clone has my same memories, so technically it's the same person. Mm -hmm. So, it's, yeah, it feels a bit similar. Yeah. You know. mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because they are his delusion, right? So if he dies, do they still exist? Hmm. They are his delusion. So does he need to? Does he yeah. need to survive? Do they need him to live? To yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But I thought there was was it very? Yeah, imagine was there a part before where they said something about mirrorist and like they're being dragged to the mirror and replaced by one of the oh, yeah. images in the mirror world. Mm. Yeah, 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 I think. Yeah, I did think something like that to himself. Oh, I changed my mind. I want the mirror thingies to win. I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the mirror images seem pretty useful most of the time. They seem yeah. very helpful. So. Do acceptance, but they also have their own agenda. Apparently, I'm I'm mostly curious about what they even want. Acceptance just wants to be the ruling Koenig. What do the mirror images want? Can they even... I guess they can't get out because they were able to partially come out to pull abandonment in. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but it feels more like they're, you know, they're together. It's not just, not just one guy. It's, it's a bunch of uh, people helping each other. So it feels better <laughs> about wanting them to win. <laughs> you know, it's like a family or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how Connie gets true acceptance by. <laughs> yeah. I'm in a family unit. I kept thinking of like Doctor Manhattan with all his, you know, images, like his mm. duplicates walking around doing things. And, yeah. I'm gonna nod like I know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, you haven't read you haven't read Watchmen yeah. or seen Watchmen? Oh. Pretty good. Pretty that's good, good stuff. I, I yeah. should. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else you, you guys can think of? Um, I think we touched on pretty well, much everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. So uh, for next week, we'll be reading chapters 26 through 35. So we'll be stopping mm -hmm. at 36, so not reading 36. Mm -hmm. So okay. and then we'll, uh, the next two weeks, so we'll finish that off. Uh, so cool. Well, thank you guys for coming by, Dan. If uh, Tell us where people can find you. If, I love you two have the, the shortest and sweetest outros ever. So it's. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems it, it, there's literally nothing to talk about. So you know, without divulging uh, private information, it's not publicly available. Well, we are going to show up at your at your front door one of these days. Like you said, we can come by. Well, well, if you figure out where I live, sure. You know, I live in in Vancouver, but it's a pretty big city. So just knock on doors until we find you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
Maybe you just find my LinkedIn and find my company and then ask my boss and then he tells you. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of trouble. I don't know. Yeah. Well, but if you're Knocking stalking me and you're listening to this, that's how I would do it. <laughs> but anyways, um, what we're doing? Oh yeah, outros. Um, yeah. If you can, if you want to get in contact with me for some reason, you think my ideas are stupid. Uh, just message me on uh, Patreon for I'll We're talking about AI. Yeah. 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 And, uh, uh, the Patreon forum, of course, and also my YouTube channel, Reading by the Rainy Month. <laughs> yeah. Lots of reads coming on Varsha's uh, channel, so stay tuned. Very <laughs> busy stuff. Very busy. <laughs> so thanks again, and uh, we'll see everyone uh, next week for chapters 20. 6 through 35. Yeah. See you then. See ya. Bye guys. <laughs>